It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Summer is here. Pack your bag with sunscreen, your emotional sport water bottle, and that steamy bee treat. But wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods, goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut. To explore the bounds of your pleasure, new content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. This week, General Motors is announcing a major reorganization. We discuss the news of the week and the future of the American automotive industry. This is Beth from the right. And Bryn from the left. You're listening to Fancy Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Everyone, welcome to another episode of Pantsuit Politics. As you can hear, I have a special guest with me today, and Sarah will have a special guest with her on Friday. Today, Pantsuit Politics beloved listener, Sarah calls him our North Star. Bryn is here with us. Bryn, tell everybody just a little bit about yourself. My name is Bryn. I'm in North Carolina. I am a director of technology for an art company, Kalisher. I spend a lot of time focused on politics, trying to be uh, an activist in North Carolina politics. Other than that, I'm a DIYer, and that's how I spend most of my time. 
I'm so glad that you're here. You've been with us for a long time. And I think we had a text exchange yesterday that illustrates why I love that Brynn listens to our show. Because we were texting back and forth about what we want to talk about today. And I told him that I was feeling myself getting into this Julia Sugarbaker kind of mindset. And Brynn is like, I had to Google who that is. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like just the fact that you find value in conversation from people who are so different from you. You know, we're quite a bit older than you are. I wouldn't say too much, but... <laughs> I mean, it feels like we are. We're both more moderate than you are, though. I mean, I just feel like it's been it's been awesome. I feel like you really enhance the quality of our discussion because you do come from a pretty progressive element of the Democratic Party. So can we talk a little bit about your political history? When we met you, you were really excited about Bernie Sanders. Then you became yep. really active in the Hillary Clinton campaign. So walk us through that journey. Well, I, I still remember the first time I found y'all. Um, I mean, I think I found y'all right when you recorded your first episode, and I believe it was through Decode DC. Um, and I remember listening to y'all in the car on the way back from a drive. I had a long drive, and I was just really thrilled for the different kind of discussion around politics. And um, and uh, through podcast listening and then the Bernie Sanders campaign, I just got really involved or interested in politics. And I grew up in a libertarian household and was raised on those kind of principles. But through college and just life experiences, I um, moved further and further left. And Bernie's campaign, really, uh, some of the policies he was uh, putting forward um, really attracted me. Uh, I will caveat that by saying that there are certainly uh, a lot of flaws with uh, Bernie himself and and the campaign uh, he's running. And I'm happy that there are some newer faces who are taking a lot of those kind of policies, but have a better, like, uh, in- more inclusive way of presenting them. After losing the primary battle, I just wasn't going to give up. I wasn't willing to, like, throw my hands up in defeat and and accept that Donald Trump was going to be, you know, the the solution because it wasn't. I mean, I was uh, more than happy to join the Hillary Clinton campaign. Um, I did ended up doing far more work for the Hillary Clinton campaign than I ever did with Bernie Sanders. Um, I had a lot of really uh, awesome opportunities to get involved. Um, through voter registration, canvassing, motor pool driving, I mean, you name it, I was there, um, you know, all day, every day on the weekends leading up to election day, organizing canvases and sending people out. So uh, there was just no, no hesitation to get right and right on involved and keep going. Yeah, this is part of what I want to make sure people know about you, that you are not someone who just like reads and tweets and listens Mm -hmm. to podcasts. You are feet on the ground, not just national politics, too. You're really active in local politics as well. So I'm excited that you're here. We have a lot to talk about today. In our first segment, we're going to discuss what happened at the border over the weekend. We're also going to talk about the conflict brewing between Ukraine and Russia that seems to be escalating. We'll do our gratitude moments in our main segment. Bryn is here because as part of our guest host submission process this summer, he wanted to talk to me about the American automotive industry. And it just happens that that subject is hot in the news right now. And so our (laughs) calendar coincided with the news cycle. And we're going to do that. And we'll end, as always, with what's on our mind outside of politics. So, Bryn, just abysmal reporting from the border, heartbreaking photographs being taken. 
for people who have not followed this in much detail, what I think you really need to know is that in Mexico, near the border with California, a group of people began with a peaceful protest to try to draw attention. I don't even know if protest is the right word, but a march. They were trying to draw attention to how long people are waiting to request asylum in the United States and how long it takes to get through that process and to ask our government to understand the scope of the problem from their perspective. And in some fashion, some portion of those folks decide to move toward our border. And from the U.S. side, people witnessed some rocks and bottles being thrown at U.S. agents. The customs enforcement personnel from the United States ends up deploying tear gas over the border. And that's where you get images of like a mother wearing a frozen shirt holding onto a kid in a diaper and another small child rushing away from what looks to be a very quickly escalating situation. Additionally, we actually shut down that port, the busiest in the United States, for about four hours, which is a dramatic turn of events. So that's kind of the skeletal factual background of what happened. I'm interested, Bryn, in what you see there and what you think the end game is. That's always my question here, right? When we go to this place, what is the end game? Uh, yeah, it's really hard to see an end game right now, but let's back up to what you first said is that, uh, I mean, these are just horrendous images that we're seeing. You know, I, I think we need to zoom out and, and just talk a little bit about what tear gas is. Uh, I, I saw an article resurfaced from a few years ago during the Ferguson um, protests uh, where tear gas was used there as well. What I didn't realize and what I don't think most people realize is that tear gas is actually a chemical weapon. Um, it's not a lethal chemical weapon. I guess it can, it can be if, if uh, you know, if it's inhaled in large enough doses, but it is nonetheless a, a chemical weapon. And we, we are using that, you know, our, you know, domestic police forces use that on protesters. And uh, here we're seeing it on asylum seekers. And I just think it's important to, uh, for people to understand that this is a nerve gas that activates pain senses in the body. And I think it's important for people to understand that that's what is being used on, on yes, adults, but also toddlers and children. And I just um, have a hard time wrapping my head around that at just the the cruelty involved there uh and and like you said what is the end game here is it is it to just try to deter them i mean there these are people who have walked thousands of miles uh and i i just don't know if they're going to be easily you know throw their hands up and say well well we tried you know they brought out the tear gas or they, you know do they just expect them to walk away i don't know what their end game is uh, it feels like they had weeks to properly prepare for this and they didn't properly prepare and to be fair to this administration we've had years to prepare for this this happened <laughs> yeah. something pretty similar happened in 2013 at which time customs enforcement used pepper spray against a fairly large group of people trying to cross the border. This is not new. What I think troubles me most about what's happening right now is it feels deliberate. 
it feels staged almost. Yes. Like the entire conversation that the administration has been having about these caravans is exaggerated. It talks about them like they are something new when they're not. We've been through this before. And not only that, they they deliberately dehumanize them. They talk about them. You see the president using language to make them sound worse, you know, like criminals and 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 dangerous and they're not. I mean, we see the images of parents and these are families and uh you know, seeking out the American dream that we brag about on a regular basis. I mean, we talk about how great it is to be an American and we go to other countries and tell people how great it is to be here and then when people leave violence and and seek to come here and seek asylum, then we, you know, meet them with hostility. It's just really, I, I just can't square that. It's just a failure of our government on so many levels, because I understand that there has to be some kind of process to understand who's coming into our country. Right. And we complain about the fact that if you come in and seek asylum, then it takes so long to get to your hearing that you're here for a long time. And what happens in the meantime? Well, like that's our government's fault, too, because we're not sure. properly funding the court system that adjudicates those issues. And I get that we have people in this country who are quite skeptical of what asylum means. And so perhaps we need a legislative fix there. If the concept of asylum has gotten too squishy for folks to understand, then Congress needs to act and Congress needs to act to fund these courts. But surely we can do better than effectively militarizing our border to deal Mm -hmm. with this. And this is where I think the Trump administration had such an opportunity because dealing with the inflow of people like this and what are basically bureaucratic processes should be where someone could say, well, I'm going to think about this like a business, right? And I am going to come up with some processes and some systems that enable all of this to flow much more efficiently. Right. But instead, the people who are supposed to be thinking like a business are using the most barbaric barbaric powers and and and, and the most extreme powers that the government wields. Right. They're bringing the strongest tools our government has to this situation Mm -hmm. against folks who have small children and rocks and bottles with them. Right. I mean, like I said, you know, we've had you said years we've had we at, you know, in this case, we've had weeks for them to, you know, they could have come up with a plan. They could have said, all right, let's set up a system so that we have these people come in. We organize them. You know, if they, instead of sending thousands of troops to the border, sent, you know, thousands of of judges and and attorneys so that we could have emergency hearings to process all these, you know, thousands of, you know, a couple thousand asylum cases. And it's not like we have 20,000. I mean, these numbers have dwindled. I mean, I, I don't even know what the exact numbers are, but it's not you know, we don't have this great mass of of people, you know, that the car, you know, quote unquote caravans started out with. You know, we could have we could have set up a system and they could have had a they could have had a media win. They could have had a moral win by saying, okay, here we have these people, we're gonna process, you know, process their their cases and get through it. And instead we have, you know, these horrific images uh from from the border of of people in in pain and tears and you know and and the cynic in me is is like you know this is this is intentional that for them to stoke their base because you see it you see 
you see on Twitter the 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 you know these these right wing people who uh, they're far right people who are gloating. I mean, I saw one person who shared that image of the the mother and her child saying it's going to be their Christmas card. You see that you know Tommy Lawrence you know, gloating about this, like it, they're, they're happy about it. They're this, it's, it's an intentional, you know, this inflicting of pain, they get happy about it. And it's just really, really disgusting. And, and, you you know, Fox News is running with it this morning, you know, showing all the images of, of the crowds and everything in, in an intentional way of stoking up the fears and, and resentments of the base. And I, you know, it's just, it, it's all so transparent. And I just don't know how we, how we combat that. And I don't understand it. As a Republican, I truly don't understand it. Because I think about, if you care about restraining the federal government, bringing tools like tear gas to a situation like this is totally inconsistent with restraining the government. If sure. you care about spending, this is the most expensive way we can, could combat this problem. It would be a lot cheaper to bring judges down to the border and have emergency <laughs> hearings than to bring all of the weaponry of the military and the police to these to to this border. Yeah. If you care about liberty and freedom, I think asylum is completely consistent with that. If you care about jobs and opportunity, the reality is that our economy is built on low wage workers in our fields, in many of our factories, in lots of our hospitality industry. We say we don't want these people here, but the truth is we must have them here. We can't afford for them not to come here. We have so many jobs in this country that will not be done if people like this don't come into the country. And that's a whole separate issue that we need to look in the mirror and have a hard conversation about. But Mm -hmm. right now, you know, some of the very people who are saying things like this is going to be my christmas card also exploit the labor of people who come into this country and tell themselves there's some kind of distinction because they happen to know one of the good ones yeah it's just it's awful and it's it speaks to our long tortured history with skin color in this country but i just don't see any actual conservative principles in operation here. I think it no. is true to recognize that if if even one person with the intention of doing this country harm crossed into the country and was not properly detected and restrained by the government, the country would rightfully have a fit about that. I think that's true. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying let's just welcome everyone in with no process, but I am saying we can do so much better than this. This is this is a human rights crisis that we're just creating. Yeah, and you know, especially when it's uh, when when this issue is juxtaposed against the backdrop of Americans like going out on Black Friday and spending money on things that we probably don't need as we uh, you know, just finished celebrating a holiday that is supposed to represent, you know, different people of different backgrounds coming together, you know, and we, you know, setting aside the whole, all the, you know, the issue that we painted this picture of Thanksgiving as something that it probably wasn't actually, but, you know, the, this idea that, that people of different backgrounds can come together. Meanwhile, we have this going on. And as we approach, you know, Christmas, which is uh, supposed to be a Christian holiday uh, where, 
you know, people were not quote unquote welcomed in. And here we are not welcoming people in. And, and I get that, you know, we have a country and, you know, we have to be careful about, you know, an economy and jobs and, and letting too many people in. But the solution is not to just beat people over the head and force them out. It's to come up with a system so that we can properly allow for for a more even flow into the country. You know, what you mentioned there is we don't want people coming in that might be dangerous. Well, if we are just, you know, closing the borders, that's just going to force people to come in illegally. If we allow them to come through in proper channels, we can better document that and keep track of, you know, who's coming in and who's, you know, who, who we're saying, no, this person might have a criminal background. Maybe we don't allow them in, but you know, they're not doing that. They're not doing it in a calculated, careful way. And, and it's just, it's not going to end well. No, it's a system that demands overhaul. And I think it's just time for us to get some people at the table who aren't stuck in the same tired discussion about this and just see rising levels of folks seeking asylum as a problem that we are fully capable of solving, especially in partnership with the Mexican government. The two, these two countries together, the United States and Mexico, we can solve this problem. Just no one wants to right now. Yeah. And I think that's the problem. Well, let's talk about another border conflict, essentially, really briefly, and talk about two countries with a long history. So this weekend, Russian warships basically fired on Ukrainian naval ships. And I don't want to get too in the weeds on this story, but I want to make sure that our listeners who are younger than I am and don't remember the Soviet Union essentially understand why this is happening. After the USSR dissolved and Ukraine had its independence as a country, there remained both within the Ukraine and within Russia the sentiment that that shouldn't have happened and that the Soviet empire should essentially exist again. And certainly, if you read much about Vladimir Putin, he desires that big territorial kind of empire again. And so there are many people in Ukraine who have consistently been more pro-Europe. They want Ukraine to be part of NATO. You know, they want to adopt more Western practices, both in terms of how they govern themselves and just culture and lifestyle. And then you have very pro-Russian forces, many of which are explicitly backed by the Kremlin in Ukraine. And that tension is where a whole lot of Paul Manafort's bad behavior has surfaced from because he was part of lobbying in Ukraine for pro-Russian forces, people who really want to tie Ukraine back into Russia. So with that history and with Ukraine's pretty fragile government, it is definitely not a two-party system in Ukraine. There are many, many political factions and they tend to get things done by bringing those disparate factions together in these very fragile coalitions. And it's hard to move forward that way. As, as many flaws as our system has, there are flaws in other systems too. And Ukraine is a great place to kind of to see that in real relief. So there is a body of water between the two countries, and in particular, a strait that is important to shipping natural resources and other consumer goods. And since Russia annexed Crimea, another 
piece of what Ukraine thinks should be its country and Russia thinks should be it be its country. The tension has been building in this body of water and a Russian ship essentially just like turned itself to block this strait and an altercation happens and Russia fires on these Ukrainian boats. I believe what I read is that the boat actually, they actually rammed each other or the Russian boat rammed the Ukrainian boat. And so the situation was so intense that the Ukrainian government is considering imposing martial law, which is very concerning, particularly because Ukraine is about to have an election. And there are some who suspect Ukraine's president, who looks like he is going to lose this election, is using this conflict to put that election off and to kind of shut down campaigning. So this is something that we just need to keep our eyes on. It's one of those issues that I'm not able to really speak much on. It's not one that I, you know, keep a close eye on, but it's definitely one of those ones that more Americans should be aware of. The, you know, there's a lot of conflicts uh, around the world, and it's really concerning whenever Russia is involved with one, uh, given the tendencies of their president. It's an important reminder, I think, that he doesn't only dabble in, you know, Facebook stories. That there is real military power at play here, that Russia has real geopolitical goals, Mm -hmm. that the NATO alliance continues to be a very important check on Russia's ability to advance some of those geopolitical goals. And so I just want to make sure that these stories are so complicated that it's easy to lose them. Even Mm -hmm. as I was preparing for this episode, you know, I had to read several of the stories several times to just let what happened sink in in a way that I could explain it. And that's hard. And there are lots of other things that pull our attention. But this is so much more important than, for example, new Congress people's shoes that I just think <laughs> we need to keep our attention tuned in here. Yes, definitely. Okay, let's do our gratitude moments, and then we are going to get into the automotive industry. I I want to start and say how grateful I am for the enthusiasm in Maryland about redistricting, because Maryland has some of the most gerrymandered districts in the United States. There's one particular district that's been litigated a few times. People have compared it very colorfully to like a Rorschach test and a blood stain, and there are like all kinds of descriptions of how poorly drawn this district is. And Maryland's governor, Larry Hogan, who is a Republican, is saying, I should not draw these districts. The people have spoken. They want non political folks doing this districting. So let's find a way to set up independent commissions. Now, the politics of that will be really hard because what is an independent commission? How do you set it up? How do people get appointed to it without it turning super partisan? So this is not an easy thing, but I'm really happy that he is leading the way on this effort. Yeah, I think that's great. What are you grateful for this week, Bryn? I am grateful for the wave of newly elected Democrat members of Congress that will be coming to the House very soon. Um, I'm very excited about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I think she's been getting a lot of attention lately, um, but I think there are a couple other people to point out as well. Uh, Chrissy Houlihan, um, newly elected from Pennsylvania. She's actually going to be my parents' representative. Um, I'm very excited about that. Um, 
Sharice Davids is another one that I'll be keeping uh, uh, an eye on to see what comes from uh, her, Ayanna Presley uh, as well, uh, and Lucy McBath. I think uh, a bunch of these uh, women are going to be really um, great on, uh, you know, proposing some gun control or gun safety legislation. Um, and then with the Green New Deal that's been proposed um, by uh, Alexandria uh, and a couple other Democrat House members, I think it's a significant step forward um, in addressing the dire, dire concerns of climate change. Um, we've seen a number of reports out now and are just watching what's going on around us with you know, the increasing intensity of hurricanes uh, on the East Coast that have uh, rocked my state, my adopted home state of North Carolina the past two summers, um, the wildfires that are burning down large parts of California. Um, these are these are real, serious issues that we need to address. And it's really reassuring that we have people coming to the House who have legitimate plans and spelled out policy proposals. I mean, they have some really detailed text on the website, on AOC's website, laying out what the Green New Deal is all about. And uh, it's nice to have, uh, it's, it's a, it's kind of, it feels uh, kind of fresh to have people coming with serious proposals instead of just rhetoric. And I think um, we're going to see some, you know, potentially some really good work coming. Um, and, uh, you know, when we when we talk about climate change, it's, you know, it should be one of the top issues that we focus on right now, because it's going to affect a lot of things, uh, including health, health, uh, and jobs, you know, and if people are displaced uh, from their homes, now we're talking about housing. So there's a, a, a lot that's going to be affected by a changing climate, and we need to um, do everything that we can to address the damages that climate change can have. And I think that's a perfect transition to our discussion about the automotive industry, where I imagine that we will get into who should address it and how, at least specific to this sector. So next up, we are going to talk about GM and Ford and American cars. Summer is here. Pack your bag with sunscreen, your emotional sport water bottle, and that steamy bee treat. But wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods, goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut. To explore the bounds of your pleasure, new content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high-quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year is going by so quickly, and I had a little bit of a moment of panic about it this week. 
I thought to myself, I'm losing track of time. It's going so fast. It's going to be December before I know it. My kids are growing up and I just kind of was spinning out. And I stopped and I closed my eyes and I pictured my last therapist, who I haven't seen since the end of 2020. But I remember the way he talked me through these issues. And I sort of channeled his energy and put my feet on the ground and thought, this is just how time feels now. And there's nothing wrong with that or right about it. It just is. But those skills that I learned in therapy are so important to helping me take a second to celebrate what's going right and decide what I want to adjust for the rest of the year. If you're thinking of starting therapy, which I cannot recommend enough, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot slash Pantsuit. The second most stressful thing after planning a trip is packing for it. This is true. This is a true story. I have just told you the clothes I have don't fit. They don't go together the way I want them to or I'm missing some essential piece. And then I discovered Quince. It's my go-to for high-quality vacation essentials. Like this premium European linen dress that's going to get us all through the heat wherever we're traveling. Blouses and shorts from $30. Washable silk tops, premium luggage options, and so much more. All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than their similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to all of us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I got big plans for my Quince chiffon pleated skirt in Japan. They like a loose, flowy look over there to battle the heat. I will be adopting that strategy with that skirt. Pack your bags with high quality essentials from Quince. Go to quince.com slash pantsuit for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash pantsuit to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash pantsuit. out to us in connection with our guest host submission offer this summer and wanted to talk with me about this issue. Tell everybody what was on your mind back in, I don't know, April or May and why you wanted to have this conversation and what you see the main issues as being today. I'm interested in cars. I'm not a mechanic. I'm not, I don't wrench on cars at all, but I like to keep an eye on the trends in the automotive industry. I like to shop for a new car, even when I'm not buying a new car, just to know what might be next in line for me. And something I've, I've noticed is that the American uh, trend is towards trucks and SUVs and away from uh, cars and uh, sedans. And uh, it's a concerning trend, um, especially as we talk about climate change and what we need to do to curb that. Um, I, I fear that American car makers specifically are moving in a direction that's counterproductive to preparing for a future that relies on more uh, efficient and um, economical uh, modes of transportation. And it concerns me um, because of the jobs that could be impacted by that. Um, <laughs> timely this morning, we just saw that 
There was an announcement by GM that it's going to be closing a couple uh, factories in North America, and that's going to mean some serious uh, job loss. And while it's unclear exactly what the direction they're going is, um, there there's some mixed reports and some vague statements out by GM that they're re-shifting uh, some of their focus to electric vehicles and autonomous vehicles away from some more stagnant um, cars in their lineup. Probably would have been better if they would have been out with some concrete plans of what they're going to do going forward, because right now it just looks like they're closing factories after being bailed out a few years ago, and people are going to be without jobs after the holiday season, and that's very concerning. And it feels to me like it connects with one of the main issues for American cars, which sadly is branding, right? I just feel like American cars have not capitalized on brand the way lots of European cars have. Well, it and it depends because you'll have some some people who only buy American cars. I'm not one of those people. I'm a proud Prius driving liberal. <laughs> and um and it's because, you know, American car makers just aren't making cars that I want to buy. Um Chevy has the Bolt and the Volt. Um and uh, I guess Ford has a hybrid, the Fusion hybrid, but um, by and large, they're just not producing a wide range of options for someone who wants a uh, hybrid or electric vehicle. And so when Chevy's going to only have two vehicles and one of them is just god-awful to look at, it's not going to be a surprise that Americans aren't climbing over, you know, climbing over each other to get to those vehicles. Um, you know, if someone wants a small, you know, if like I would be the perfect person for a small hybrid pickup truck. I like to do DIY projects and I am I am constantly going to Lowe's and Home Depot picking up wood and uh mulch and stuff. And I would be I would be so much happier to throw a bag of mulch in the back of a small Prius-sized pickup truck and and taking that home with me, but then having an economical commuter car. I mean, vehicles have just gotten so big and so oversized. Like, I hate going to a uh, to the grocery store or to the Durham Bulls stadium. If I have to park in a parking deck, it's miserable trying to squeeze. I mean, I have a small car, but trying to squeeze in between these massive you know, pickup trucks and SUVs and minivans. It's it's just really like when I look at the, the size of vehicles, it's really unfortunate because for all the quote unquote advances in fuel economy uh, of of crossovers and SUVs, we haven't seen that in in in, in cars and sedans uh, in in a significant way. And so when you know as as crossovers has have become more efficient, they've just kind of caught up with sedans. And so it, it kind of makes sense that people are like, well, if I'm going to, you know, people like my wife who, who prefer the sitting the higher up in an SUV, if they're like, well, if I can get the same gas mileage in SUV that I can get in a sedan, well, I might as well get the car that I want. Meanwhile, you know, we're not making enough advances in, in, uh, you know, in fuel economy in, in smaller cars. And that's mostly in American cars. What we're seeing in from Japanese and Korean automakers is a push towards a 
more diverse line of hybrid offerings. Um, you know, Toyota has a number of of hybrid vehicles now from uh, their uh, small, you know, from the Prius, but also the Camry. Um, they also, in their SUV lineup, the RAV4 and the Highlander, they have hybrid options. And while not fantastic miles per gallon, it is an improvement over their non-hybrid, um, you know, uh, siblings. And so we're seeing we're seeing hybrids out from Hyundai and and Kia and Toyota and Honda, and it just feels like the American automakers are getting left behind as as Ford announced back in the spring, and and it appears that it's unclear what Chevy's doing. Uh, Chrysler and Dodge have all but abandoned their their small car segment and have moved towards just providing SUVs and uh, uh, larger vehicles like that. They're just getting left behind, and so people like me aren't going to buy American. We're not going to support you know, unfortunately, American jobs, unless the cars from Toyota and Nissan and Honda are being assembled here, um, because these auto, the American automakers just aren't building cars for me. Well, and I think that's a good way to kind of set up how, how can we tackle this problem? First, we need to define what our goals are, because I think we've been having a conversation, and by we, I mean kind of the, the general conversation in the country, has been about these American brands. But the truth is, lots of cars are made in the United States, or at least True. parts of the cars are made in the United States that aren't affiliated with these American brands. So do mm-hmm. we really care about keeping GM and Ford in business, or do we care about the number of jobs that are available in the United States that are connected with cars. Right, especially as General Motors had just moved earlier this year one of their production facilities to Mexico to produce the cruise hatchback and one of the plants that they're shutting down announcing today was in Canada. Um, you know, a lot of American brands the cars aren't even, you know, completely made here. Um, you know, you can buy a BMW that's that's made in South Carolina. Uh, you can buy Nissans that are assembled here. And so there's more American, you know, quote unquote, American made in some of these foreign brands um, in the vehicles that you're buying from them than there are some American brand vehicles. So I think we want to maybe look a little closer at the where the vehicles are actually providing the jobs and less about, you know, the, the quote unquote, American brand. So I think that's goal number one, that we want to maximize job creation and economic opportunity not just the preservation of these brands. Right. And then I think goal number two we both agree on is that we want to be environmentally conscious around our approach to cars. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a really interesting topic for the two of us to discuss because (laughs) cars are so heavily regulated along so many parameters, not just how they're made, but how they're sold, how they're taxed, what you have to do to be able to drive them. And I think that's an interesting part of this discussion and a pretty complex one. But I guess I'm interested, Bren, in what you think about the regulation of vehicle emission standards and things like that, especially as the Trump administration has kind of flipped the Mm -hmm. script on this subject. Yeah. So one of the articles that I read about this was one of the impetuses behind Ford canceling a lot of its small cars, its sedans, is that 
the regulations on those cars are more uh, stringent than uh, the small, what are considered to be small truck, light duty trucks. And so they actually built their SUVs, the Explorer, bigger so that it would fall into a different classification uh, that would result in less regulation and it's then cheaper to produce than the uh, smaller uh, cars that they were making. That attached to Americans' um, obsession with SUVs moreover than uh, sedans. So it kind of went hand in glove there. Um, but, uh, you know, I think it's very, it's really important that we have regulation, that we have emissions control. Um, we, we saw the problems that in California, in LA, in the big cities that they were facing with, with smog and emissions and how that's been improved with regulation. And we can't, we can't go back on that. Um, if we, that it may mean finding better ways uh, of, of easing, easing the burden on car makers or, or at least having you know, equally difficult regulations for all cars in the lineup so that they're not incentivized to make them bigger so that they fall into a new class and, and can therefore, you know, uh, skate by some regulation. If more people are buying small light duty trucks, then, then we need to make sure that, you know, we're, uh, having regulations on those. I mean, I'm a, I'm a pro-regulation kind of person, which is counter, um, I, I think, contrast to maybe what your ideas are. But, you know, I, I, I'm not like, well, let's regulate them to death either. I want, I want smart regulation so that people are protected, our environment's protected, um, but making sure that, uh, you know, jobs are protected and we don't, so we don't want, um, we don't want companies failing. We don't want, uh, factories, you know, pulling up shop and, and going elsewhere. Um, but we, we need a balance. And But I, I do think it's really important that we have those regulations to make sure that um, as we're facing this, this threat of climate change, that, you know, cars are still the primary mode of transportation for Americans. Uh, and until we have a better, you know, public transportation system, we need to make sure that we have vehicles that we're putting on the road that are as economical as possible. Well, here's what I desperately want to hear from Republican leadership about cars and the environment in general. I am so frustrated because somewhere along the way, a decision has been made that instead of arguing that regulation is not the entirety of the solution to climate change, we're just going to argue about the existence of climate change. <laughs> And I accept the science on climate change wholeheartedly. I am concerned about it. I think it's important. And I do think the government has a role to play. I also think the market has a role to play. And by people in leadership positions disputing the science on climate change, we are not enabling the market to play its role. We aren't seeing increases in demand for electric vehicles at the rate that the science would say we should, right? Because we're so busy saying, no, 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 the science is phony. There's a couple factors there. I think that's definitely one of them. But it's also that EVs are still very expensive compared to non-EVs. And the options of the kind of vehicles that are available are very limited. And so if you don't want some funky looking futuristic 
out there kind of vehicle, an EV might not be uh, in your in your future. If you don't want something that is twice the price of a normal car, uh, an EV might not be uh, available to you. And so I think there's a number of factors, uh, you know, and having having a uh, diverse set of offerings of the kind of vehicles that you can buy that are have an electric um, power plant, uh, and and that and then making them more affordable, uh, that's you know that's the challenge, and that and and so I think part of it comes down to putting a social responsibility on American automakers and and making it like let's have a. Let's go back to when we had the space race. This should be an innovation challenge. Like, let's get more economical vehicles on the market. We should we should be striving for an average fleet miles per gallon in the 30s or the 40s. We shouldn't be settling on high 20s. We should be we should be shooting for better. Like, where's that where's that American ingenuity that drive to to create better, like I just don't see that, except for maybe Tesla right now. Like Tesla's pushing forward; they're making, you know, uh, they have the Model Three that, while not the highest quality car, you know, from reports I'm seeing, is pushing that new thinking into the market. And I think some of these car makers are starting to sort of respond to that. And I just wish we would see more of that drive to really move in a new, bold direction. Well, here's where I think the discussion about regulation gets really interesting, because I think one of the reasons we have a problem with the availability and affordability of electric vehicles is state regulation that protects auto dealers. Yeah. It is so difficult to challenge the auto dealers associations, no matter what mm-hmm. state you're in. And Republicans, Democrats, everybody has created this problem yeah. because auto dealers tend to be pillars of their community, right? It's a big deal to have dealerships in your community. They tend to be active in the community. Lots of good things have created this problem. They give lots mm-hmm. of money to campaigns. Yeah, but they give lots say, of money to money campaigns. <laughs> That's right. And so there are regulations. I'm not kidding. Like if you start to get into what these regulations say, the protectionism around ensuring that new competition does not come into states to challenge existing franchises is out of control. And Tesla is really yeah. taking this on as its kind of personal mission, right? Because there are so many Mm -hmm. states where you cannot buy a Tesla. You just can't buy one. So we have a Model 3. We ordered it three years ago. We waited 900 and something days for our Model (laughs) 3. We drove to Ohio to buy it because we cannot buy one in Kentucky. Mm -hmm. I am a complete convert on Tesla now that we have this car. And I see what they're doing and I get it. And I think of it the way that I think of what Apple did with smartphones, where they just got it before everybody else did. And they said, you yeah. know what? We're just going to build our own universe because that's what it requires for this to, to, to show you the possibility. We have to build our own universe. And that's what Tesla is doing. You know, we get in our car, we tell it where we're going, and it says, here's where you need to stop to charge along the way. When Mm -hmm. we bought the car, we bought it at a time that all of that charging is free for us. 
And so we pull up to a Tesla supercharger. We spend 20 to 30 minutes. We're recharged and we're off. The car, we don't have to show it anything. Like the reader on the fueling system understands what car we are. And so all the record keeping is done that way. We have a problem with the car. We let them know it gets fixed remotely through the software. It's amazing. (laughs) And I can see the safety possibilities as self-driving is improving. It's already improved a couple times since we got the car a couple of months ago. So I'm a fan of what Tesla is doing. But what I see is that it is doing it against all of these barriers. Electric vehicles don't produce the kind of service needs that gas vehicles do. And service on vehicles is a huge portion of revenue for lots of dealers and franchise owners. There are all these entrenched interests around cars. I just feel about cars like I feel about a lot of issues. We're having the debate in 50-year-old terms when laws were written to protect these franchise owners from Chevrolet coming in to compete with them directly, Hmm. right? But those aren't the incentives anymore, and we need a new framework. And I think that one way government could be helpful here is easing up on all of the entrenched interests and laws that prevent innovation in this space. Right. It's it's similar to what we saw with with Uber and Lyft and challenging the entrenched taxi, you know, industries. Um, you know, we want to be uh, a couple other things that we need to be mindful of as as all of this is is happening is, you know, is protecting labor and workers. Um, I, I know that Tesla has come under some hot water with some of the w- labor practices, some of the ways they were treating their workers, and same thing with Lyft and Uber. But you have these companies that are changing our thinking on what what these industries ha- can look like and, and how they can function. You know, there's a lot of red tape and, and just changing the way we think about what it means to sell a car and to own a car. You know, we're going to see, I think, over the next, you know, decade or two, a real shift, especially as Younger people, you know, the generation behind me, less and less of them are looking to buy cars. As people continue to move into cities um, and are looking for either shared transportation, public transportation, um, using Lyft and Uber, uh, there's there's less of a focus on vehicle ownership. And so there's, you know, some talk in the car industry about uh, what does it look like for co-ownership of vehicles, there's just, you know, there's no, you know, that that really shifts from, you know, the thinking of, of what it means to have these dealerships and 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 all that infrastructure there. You know, when we're talking about co-ownership, that totally, that's a totally new ball game. And so we need to have legislators that are open and responsive to hearing those you know that new that new thinking um, and 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 figuring out solutions for that um, for that new wave of of automotive engineering. Because there are so many ramifications to co ownership of vehicles that <laughs> you wouldn't even think of, right? Like divorce yeah. law, death law, you know, probate <laughs> issues. Like there are lots of issues about that that could be handled, you know, but it just yeah. takes people willing to handle them. And this is part of why I really favor regulation of cars at the state level. I do not cry one tear over how difficult it is for companies to adapt to California's vehicle emission standards. You want to be in that market deal with what California has put out. 
And I think California, because of the saturation of population, has some more urgent issues. And there there are, I think, ways for each state to put pressure on what I really don't want to see happen. My fear often, and this doesn't mean I think we have zero federal, federal regulation of cars, but I fear that when there is a federal regulatory system that's comprehensive, we're putting a ceiling instead of a floor on the standards. Mm-hmm. Until we accompany consumer demand with those regulations, I think we're going to have people, it's kind of like taxes, right? The goal becomes, how little do I pay to satisfy this? And yeah. I don't want car manufacturers thinking that way. You know, I want it to be like, let's, like you said, I want it to be this exciting spirit of innovation. And I think that if we would stop disputing whether we have climate change issues and acknowledge Mm. we have them and there are conservative solutions to those and there are progressive solutions and there's a whole realm of common ground here. Let's work together on a sensible regulatory system. Let's work together on building demand for these kind of vehicles. Let's work together on transitioning people whose jobs are going to become obsolete in this process. You know, there's so much possibility here. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets look just like a dryer sheet, but it's ultra concentrated, liquidless laundry detergent. It's the best of all worlds. Earth Breeze is tough on stains and odors while being kind to the planet and your skin, so it's good for sensitive skin. It reduces plastic waste. All of these things are true and amazing, but let's get to the heart of it. Y'all know I have a laundry system. You know it revolves around training children as young as possible to do their own laundry. Earthbreeze sheets feels like they were invented for this. Because littles maybe sometimes struggle with those big, heavy jugs. Or maybe you worry about the pods, but here we go. Here we go, y'all. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets. It's like the perfect solution. A child as young as two can handle these sheets. And even with toddlers, like you can get them involved. And this is a way to get them helping with laundry even before they could do it themselves. Ugh. Gotta love it so much. Right now, our listeners can receive 40% off EarthBreeze just by going to earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit. That's earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and claim 40% off your subscription. earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. We do quite a bit of hosting here at the Silvers household, and I think there is nothing that completes a table for dinner. Like a beautiful loaf of bread and wild grain has made that so simple because they send gorgeous loaves of sourdough bread. Lots of spins on the ingredients, but always just this 
fantastic, high-quality, easy-to-bake in 25 minutes or less from frozen bread that turns out perfectly every single time. I also have to tell you about the free croissants for life that come with your wild grain orders. And those croissants make the morning, your brunch, maybe your late-night snack, flaky, and like you're sitting in a French cafe and they're just perfect every single time. That's what I love about Wild Grain. It's easy, it's consistent, it's fully customizable. It is the first ever Bake From Frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. For a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. You heard me, free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit, or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. You know, I, I don't uh, completely agree with this, the state um, and federal breakdown there. I mean, when we see, you know, California, because of its size, is able to enact regulations on vehicles and and have it ripple out you know across all vehicles that are sold in the united states basically because ford and chevy aren't going to build a car for you know california right that's different than connecticut and so but connecticut can't make those same kind of demands that california can because their market's so much smaller i don't think i mean i don't know maybe chevy and ford won't stop selling cars in connecticut because connecticut demands something you know some kind of stringent regulation uh i don't know um but uh that and that's where i feel like maybe there's some things that are best done at a federal level there are certain things that are better done at a state level um, but I still believe in, in in flexing the powers of the federal government to to set a baseline. It's the same thing with education. There needs to be a baseline, baseline set of standards, and then maybe certain states have different levels, you know, above that. But there still does, in my mind, need to be a baseline minimum because you know we because <laughs> because I you know I see states as just imaginary lines, and 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 what affects people in in Texas is going to have same kind of effects, uh, you know, or similar effects on people in Maine when we're talking about, you know, the climate as a whole. So, um, you know, there there needs to be certain standards that are done at a federal level. Um, and, and, you know, I really would like to see some better cooperation, you know, between countries too. You know, there are different different regulations in in the UK and and in China, you know, there's drastically different regulations. Um, and when we're talking about climate change, we need to have we need to have, you know, these auto comp makers thinking on a global scale, not just, you know, what is LA demanding, you know, we need to think about how on a global global scale, we can, you know, be best serving our planet. I love, though, that California can push them to do better for the entire United States. <laughs> I love yeah. that the EU can push Facebook to do better for everybody. You know, I, I love yeah. that tension that is created by different areas of the world saying, no, I want more than that and and having some bargaining yeah. power on that. So I think that's I think that's pretty important. But again, I my biggest concern in the United States right now is that we are debate about climate is so pointless yeah. that the market isn't allowing, like the market isn't being allowed to work because we have so many people who are like just going to buy the big vehicle as kind of a screw you to the Prius yeah. own, the Prius driving liberal, right? <laughs> and that's nuts. 
One of the reasons that I think lots of women like me who would prefer to drive a small vehicle, because believe me, I would always rather be in a small vehicle than a large one, especially to park. (laughs) But car seats are enormous. Oh, yeah. And if you got a car seat or two or three, you're just getting into the territory where minivan, small SUV, crossover are your only options. and. I am all for protecting our children. Mm -hmm. There have to be innovative ways to do that, too. There have to be new ways to build into the cars some options. And I just think this is another area where we're kind of keeping ourselves stuck in one mode of thinking instead Mm -hmm. of allowing new possibilities to emerge. Completely agree. Yeah, that's something that I wouldn't think about because I'm not a parent, but would completely reasonable uh, concern there. Um, Yeah, the need a bigger vehicle to fit more car seats. That totally makes sense. And this is why I think it's really important to have adult conversations about regulations instead of just pro or anti, because so many regulations were perfectly reasonable when enacted. And it is incredibly difficult to change them once they're enacted. And so a more flexible system is something that I think we need to look for. And I think that requires a lot more bipartisan cooperation and a lot more unsexy governance, Mm -hmm. right, where people are running on issues that don't make anybody excited, but would actually make a very big change in how we live and work and buy and sell things. Yeah. And one last point I'll make is is that even if if we want to put aside the issue of climate change, I'm not saying that we do, but let's put that aside for a second and let me talk to some of the people on the other side of the aisle who might not be as receptive to hearing climate change. Let's talk about our dependence on foreign oil. If we have a a fleet of vehicles on the road that are more fuel efficient, are and we are able to source alternate fuels, uh, and we are able to cut down on on our dependence on oil coming out of the Middle East, it would allow us to approach issues coming out of that region in such a drastically different way, because now we're not having to think about, you know, the president doesn't have to think about, well, if I do this, the price, uh, and I'm saying president it, as in a general term, not President Trump specifically. I'm saying President Obama, President Clinton, pl- President Bush, whoever is in that office. The president doesn't have to think, well, if I take this act in the Middle East, it's going to raise fuel prices, gas prices by 30 cents a gallon. And what is that going to do to my poll numbers? If we don't have to think about that, it totally changes how we approach these issues on a global scale. And so and and that and that changes how we engage militarily and and just there's so much there's so, you know it's amazing how much is wrapped up in the car in the automotive industry how how it just how we've gone on all these different tangents we've got car seats we've got gas we've got oil you know there's so much that is wrapped up here it's just amazing to think about all that comes back when you get behind the wheel of the car I think that is an excellent note to wrap up on. And next, we are going to talk about what's on our minds outside of politics. So, Bryn, when you did your guest host submission, you mentioned that you were in the process of building a home and that was on your mind outside Mm -hmm. of politics. Uh, Is that still what's on your mind outside of politics? (sighs) 
Unfortunately, yes. Although <laughs> we are thankfully coming to a close. Um, my wife and I uh, sold our house in the spring uh, after we went under contract on uh, building a new home. Um, we are building in Mebane, North Carolina, um, and we are very excited to finally get in. Um, we wanted a, a little bit bigger house so that we had some more room for family to come and visit. I wanted a space so that I could have uh, have a workshop for working on projects around the house. And um, we moved into an apartment with the thinking that we would be there for three months um, while they finished up building our new house. Uh, and they are going to be about six months behind what their original promise date was. And so we will have been in our apartment for eight months and we are just not all that happy about it. Um, so we are very excited. We have a closing date for December 28th and we're just hoping that they are able to stick to that um, so that we're able to get in there before the year closes and we can finally put an end to this saga. <laughs> okay. So what have you learned that would be great advice for listeners who might be at a similar phase of life? Vet your builder. Um, that was one thing that we didn't do because we kind of felt rushed into um, going under contract. There is in North Carolina, in the Raleigh-Durham area, there is a huge demand for housing um, and a very low inventory. It's one of the issues that actually was discussed in the 2017 local elections was the concerns about gentrification and affordable housing. That was um, a huge uh, topic that was being discussed um, as the there's the research triangle park is um, kind of the technology hub of the east coast and there's a lot of um, a lot of transient um, workers people coming into the area for uh, for jobs there um, we also have the universities uh, in the area unc duke and so we have a lot of uh, people coming in and um, uh, buying housing and it's kind of pushing out lower income people. Um, and that's a concern. Um, and then for even middle class people like myself, who is very comfortably middle class, it was hard for us to find a house in, um, in our price range in the area that we were living. So we kind of branched out into a smaller town, more, uh, more rural area. Um, and we're happy to be out here, but, um, the, we, we, like I said, we kind of felt rushed because there's not a lot of inventory. And when we found the housing development, we kind of rushed in before they were going to be raising prices. And so we didn't have a lot of time to research who we were building with. And I kind of wish we would have done that a little bit more because our builder hasn't been the best to work with. Um, they've gotten a little bit better um, now that the uh, construction process actually started. But their communication um, ha leading up to breaking ground was really uh, troubling. And so uh, if you're going to go into the process of building a new house, do your research and see if you can uh, talk to uh, realtors about their experiences working with builders. And if they don't have any experience working with a builder, see if they can find someone who has and find out what their experience has been. Because um, I think we would have uh, maybe benefited from having a a little bit more time to research that. Well, I'm excited that you're going to move in before the end of the year and can't wait to see pictures. And I know that's a, a <laughs> lot to, to get done between now and year end. Yes. 
Well, I wanted to talk a little bit about meanness on Facebook today outside of politics. Oh, boy. I am seeing a lot of it. (laughs) And one particular incident jumped out at me that I think is illustrative of like how we behave online and how problematic it is. Yeah. So I am, am part of several community, county, city, local type pages. Sometimes I wonder why, but then I remember it's because that's how I know about things like Christmas with Santa at the, you know, breakfast with Santa at the firehouse or whatever. Like there are lots of great community things that I wouldn't know about without Facebook. But um, it seems to me that when anyone posts something remotely personal on those pages, it gets ugly so fast. So on one of those pages this weekend, a person posts that she is looking for puppies in advance of Christmas. And I see that there are like 140 something comments. And I think, oh, what gosh. in the world? And it is a lot of people who are convinced that you should never buy an animal ever. You should only adopt, which I understand. But I also think other animals are deserving of love and support and they're going to exist you know so i'm i'm a little conflicted about that but so there are those folks and i understand their passion and mixed in with those folks and as a as a separate category too there are people who want to be sure this woman understands that puppies are not presents they're commitments and that you shouldn't just buy a fun puppy for your kids for christmas (laughs) and then they get tired of it and it ends up in a shelter or whatever This poor woman patiently explains in the most gracious way possible. I want to go find this woman and give her a hug. I don't know who she is, but I I want to know her because the way she handled this, that her family's dog of like 18 years had passed away recently Mm. and everyone's missing the dog and they would like to have a new dog. And so having had a dog for like 18 years, they're fully aware of what kind of commitment is required here. Yeah. But. People were just so cruel in these comments and made so many assumptions and were so condescending. And these are in neighborhood pages. So there is a chance that you're going to run into this person at Kroger. And I don't understand it. And as we approach the holiday season, I just want to encourage everybody to like pause for a second. And if you are really passionate about animal issues, God bless you for being so. Send that person a private message and couch it like, I don't know you. I just see a lot of this. It's an issue that tugs at my heart. So I want to say these things. And if they don't apply to you, just ignore me. You know, (laughs) like there are ways to do your work in the world on these topics without taking it to an 11 immediately in the comments on a long Facebook string. Yeah, I I don't know how Sarah especially handles all the Facebook traffic that she gets because I I'm a member of a couple just a very few select groups and it's the only reason why I'm still on on Facebook uh, really is the groups that I I'm in but like I find it so overwhelming to even just go in and and if I see more than ten comments on a post I don't even start because it's like I don't have time to read everyone's random opinion on it like god bless you and and sarah for for listening to the yahoos like me on twitter you know tweeting at you all the time because i just don't i don't have it in me to to listen to every joe schmo's opinion on 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 every little topic and 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 it's not just like little quips that's what i do like about twitter is that yeah now we have these 20 uh, threads and we can do 240 characters but my goodness the people get so verbose on facebook and it's like Y'all, 
take a chill pill. I, I feel like people are, are so lonely that they just feel like they need to just, they just vomit their entire life's opinion on, on these pages. And it's like, that's just not necessary. Y'all need to get a hobby and talk to some more people in real life because, you know, find a coffee or find a barbershop that you can go, you know, just, you know, shoot the breeze with people in because they're just doing it on Facebook and it just gets so out of hand. And I just wish that we would think of Facebook as a gateway to that kind of interaction. Like if this is really important to you, then say on Facebook, can we talk about this? sometime, you know, could we meet for coffee? Could we, I just think that there, I don't think it is like its own universe contained from the world. And I feel like some of our meanness happens when we think of it that way. I especially Mm -hmm. hate it when a thread gets going like that and people start to post the gifts of like themselves eating popcorn, you know, people eating popcorn, like, oh, I'm just excited to watch the fireworks here. Why? Why are you excited for that? I don't want you to be excited for that. So Sarah is very good at handling that stuff. And speaking of Sarah, she is going to be here on Friday with Paducah's mayor, Brandy Harless. And the two of them are going to talk about the cost of public service. They're really inspired by how transparent Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez has been about the cost of living in D.C. and, you know, all of the nonsense about her wardrobe. And, And it's really, you know, I don't agree with her on a lot of policy. I really love her approach to having interaction with constituents, um, her local constituents, people across the country. She's taking a radical new way of, of doing it, too, with her and, and her fellow incoming class of Congress members using Instagram and Instagram Live and social media as a way to more engage with people and 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 talk about policy it's really exciting and 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 being the, and uh, transparent about the costs of of running running for office and 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 working for the government it's um it, i think it'll shed a new light on some of people's stereotypes about what they think of when they think of a politician and how much they make and yeah it'll be interesting to hear that conversation feels like citizen government again, you know, and that's something that could be replicated in lots of different ideologies. So Sarah and Brandy will be here to talk about those costs as they have experienced them as local public officials. And I know that will be a great conversation. I can't wait to listen to it. Thank you, Bryn, for being here today. It was so fun to talk with you. Thank you so much for having me, Beth. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. And you guys have a wonderful week until we're back with you on Friday. Keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces Pantsuit Politics every week. And thanks for making us sound better and smarter, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our production assistant, which means we could not live without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you so much, Elise. We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help make the show better. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major life-giving way. Tracy Putoff, Tim Miller, Cherry Haas, Sarah's husband, Nicholas Holland, and my husband, Chad Silvers. Learn more about our live events that we're involved in and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And connect with us and members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.